Welcome to another Dragonlance Saga review episode. It is Majatog Reaper the 19th. My name is Adam. Today I'm going to give you my spoiler review of The Dark Queen by Michael Williams and Terry Williams. I would like to take a moment and thank the members of this YouTube channel and uh, invite you to become a member yourself if you're not already. You can always uh, pick up Dragonlance Gaming materials using the affiliate links in the description below as well. So, you know, it's a win-win for everyone. You get a new Dragonlance whatever and uh, get my beak wet. Just help keep the lights on as it were. I appreciate it. All right. So the way these work is I'm going to give you my pre-written review and these reviews are written as I'm reading the novel. So... I usually try to break it up into quarters or thirds. In this particular case, it's thirds. And you're going to find that my perception of this novel completely changes from the first to the third <laughs> act of this story. It is like a night and day shift. And it's all because of choices that the authors made. So if you've read this and you have a perspective that differs from mine, I welcome it. Put it up in the comments. And if you happen to uh, have read this before and you have any thoughts that you want to share, put those up in the live chat if you're watching live and, or just put it in a comment if you're watching this after the fact. And uh, we'll get to it. Have a little bit of a Dragonlance fun. I've had a horrible day today, so <laughs> this is going to make it all better, right? Fingers crossed. All right. My expectations of this novel, being the worst in the entire series of Dragonlance novels, has been ruined by the first third of this novel. While the writing style of Michael and Terry Williams is more akin to poetry than fiction, the story itself isn't bad. Tachesis is trying to recover and manifest on Kryn after being banished in the Third Dragon War by Huma. To do this, she's convinced the King Priest of Istar that she can marry an elusive, or that he can marry an elusive red-headed woman if he procures a vast amount of sacred opals from beneath Istar. The King Priest, being a piece of work himself, has enslaved the now extinct Lucanesti elves who lived for millennia before Huma, and even made prophecies about the fall of Istar and the coming cataclysm. These elves are known for being able to easily locate these opals, so they've been enslaved for it. There's another prophecy about a band of nomads who can overthrow Istar and place their leader up as the new king-priest. This would spoil Tachesis' plans, however, so she manifests as well as possible and tries to have him killed. Now, before I go on, the first question that you should be asking is, wait, the king priest can marry someone? Yeah, they changed it. And the second question, which you wouldn't know unless you read it, would be, wait, priests can use edged weapons? Yeah, it's a choice in this. And then the third question would be, if she can manifest in order to foil Fortis's plans, why does she need the opals or the king priest at all? Because she's just using him to get the dust in order to manifest on Kryn. But she's already here, in the middle of the story. At the very beginning of the story. Don't ask questions and it makes perfect sense. So, the man is Fortis Firesoul, the water and war prophet of the Quainara plainsmen, and other nomadic tribes have joined them in their war with Istar. Fortis is gifted and has been touched by Syrian, but I believe he's being protected by Sarganas at the moment. And what you do find out through the course of this is that he is both not just protected by Syrian through birth, but also protected by Sargonas as the original sort of propelling him to um, 
uh, the prophecy of overthrowing the king priest, and Sargonus and Tachesis are in active war with each other in the abyss over his support of Fortis and her desire to destroy Fortis. So that's kind of interesting. So Fortis has continually defeated the Starnian armies using guerrilla tactics as he slowly makes his way to Istar. In truth, he's being aided by a druid in service to the king priest named Vananen. I said that right. It's spelled V-A-N-N-A-N-E-N. I don't understand why people have these ridiculous names. There are plenty of non-tongue-tying names out there that you could use. Vananen is not one of them. So Vananen comes to be indentured to the king priest as he was sent to copy all newly declared illegal tomes of knowledge by the king priest and spirited it away for future generations. He witnessed a man enslaved as the king priest's weapon master slash trainer, and upon his death, the king priest was going to send his son to the mines to pay off the rest of his father's debt. Yet, even in this version of the king priest, the king priest is a dick. So Vananen steps in to pay the remainder of the child's father's debt to the king priest as his new trainer, and the son Vincus, yeah, that's his name, Vincus. Apparently he was at the V's and he just didn't want to progress. Vincus was enslaved to a cleric instead. So I bet it's better to be enslaved to a cleric of Istar than it is to be enslaved in the minds of Istar, but in either situation, he's still a slave. Why? Because his dad died before he could repay his debt. That's the king priest. Unbelievable. So, Vananen has been sending Fortis intel in the guise of visions, helping him with troop movements and tactics. Because, of course, Vananen wants to overthrow this king priest as well. As would any rational thinking mortal on Kryn. So he even places... Uh, uh, he shows him places in the desert where to find water and stuff like that. Fortis has no idea who it is. He assumes it's, you know, communing with the gods or something. And this is the basic plot thus far. There's more development within the rebel camp with personalities that may play larger roles, like the bard Larkin or the elf monk Stormlight, who Fortis travels with. Now, I'm a third of the way through at this point, and it seems the setup is complete. And we will get into the consequences of character choices moving forward. I do want to sort of put a pin in this and point out that the disparity between the role-playing game of Dungeons & Dragons in the campaign world of Dragonlance and the novels written in the campaign world of Dragonlance has been there from the beginning. So whenever someone tries to make some sort of ridiculous argument about how, well, drow are clearly in... Um, Dragonlance because one was referenced in one novel at one time or um, I mean literally it could be anything it could be bards existed in first edition in Dragonlance which they didn't and then later in second edition they actually were in it but the developers insisted in Dragon Magazine that they weren't even though they were literally in Tales of the Lance block set or that monks existed, etc. I mean, it, it's all completely like willy-nilly. They don't even pay attention to the other novels. So why would anyone ever think that Dragonlance authors would pay attention to the Dragonlance gaming materials? It's so ridiculous. And like, I'm sort of at this weird position in the life cycle of doing this channel where I'm getting more frustrated than I am finding joy out of doing this. 
because there's no standard. There, the novels don't adhere to canon. They don't even adhere to the other novels' version of canon. The authors just have carte blanche to make up whatever the hell they want, even if it's in direct contrast to what's already been stated. There's no consistency anywhere, and it's just like the Wild West. Everyone's just like going crazy. And for people like me who are obsessively in love with this setting, it makes zero sense. And all it is is perpetual cycle of disappointment. So what are you going to do? All right, so Fortis travels the desert alone in a vision and is attacked by an agent of Tachesis. He's poisoned but alive and takes a long time getting back to camp. In the meantime, Tachesis takes the guise of a warrior male named Tamex, who aids the rebels in defeating an Istarian army raid, which kills nearly 150 of the rebels. She bends Fortis's companions' ears by appealing to their own independence and desires. As Tamex, she tries to corrupt Larkin, and as her female form of Tanilla, she likes the T-words, uh, she tries to corrupt Stormlight, who is much more receptive, she ends up telling him that he should lead the rebels and that Fortis isn't worthy. So she's just sowing discontent amongst the troops. Then the bandit general Gormian appears, this idea of his own, um, I'm sorry, her own volition when Fortis does return in his healing. Uh, I'm sorry, I totally botched that. Gormian tells Stormlight that he should be the ruler, just like Tachesis said it to him. She's not actually being controlled by Tachesis, that's just her opinion, and it just reinforces the discord between Stormlight and um, Fortis. So then another attack comes, which surprises Tachesis, as it comes from Sargonas, who saw how she partially escaped the abyss through the opals, and he does the same, creating a volcanic eruption in the middle of the sand and flying out in condor form above the rebels. They all turn to attack him, and they ultimately defeat his condor form, which also somehow banishes Tachesis, who then attacks Sargonas in the abyss because she's so pissed that he showed up. It turns out that Fortus is the son of a slave attendant to the king priest, and at this point in the story, it's suggested that the king priest is his father. And it was Tachesis that is feeding him ambitious goals through his dreams. So... If it's not convoluted enough, let me sort of break it down. Tachesis needs the king priest in order to make her body on Kryn. She is telling the king priest's son that he needs to overthrow the king priest, luring him into some form of a trap because she doesn't actually want him to defeat the king priest. But all the other evil gods are down in the abyss watching her make all this ruckus on Kryn, and so they try to escape to Kryn to do the same, and she gets pissed that they're trying to do the same thing she's doing, and so she like goes back to the abyss and like breaks them all apart. So she, it, she's actively trying to promote the current king-priest by having his son come and attack him. That's the setup. <laughs> Thanks. No sense at all, but okay. So she wants Fortis to invade Istar and fail instead of just telling him not to invade, which would be easy, right? So while the king priest continues collecting the opal dust to resurrect her, but he doesn't really need to because she's already on Kryn, fooling everyone, but okay. We travel back to Istar where the slave boy Vincus, remember the cleric's slave, 
is watching the city swell with visitors due to the holiday season of Shinarian. This is like a, it's like a, like a Halloween or something like that. You know, it's like a just big holiday. So only this is a different vibe than past year's holidays. He discovers that the elite regiment of Istar, the sixth legion, has been recalled to Istar by the king priest in secret to protect it when the rebels do attack. So the father's being told by Tachesis that the son is coming to attack. Tachesis is telling the son to come attack, but she is then telling the king priest to bring in all of his legions to defeat the son that she told to come and attack from attacking. Okay, got it? Portis is walking into a trap set by Tachesis for literally no reason. So the rebels begin to fall apart through Tachesis's machinations within the camp, and Fortis declares it's time to invade Istar as he believes that the visions he's been given that he will be the next king priest. The same visions that he got from Tachesis. This is... Now, this I wrote this line when I was in the middle of it, okay? So I hadn't thought about it yet. So my line is, this is so much better than I was led to believe. <laughs> Oh, naive Adam from yesterday. <laughs> who doesn't like a story about Tachesis messing with those who would otherwise mess up her plans? That was my thought, which has since changed from yesterday. So they also spend a decent amount of time explaining who the Lucanesti elves are, which I appreciate. If you're going to add a new element into the game world that's literally never referenced again, at least give us a little backstory, and they did. So I appreciated that. The short story um, is that they're a faction of the Demernesty that evolved on land and underground, but later in the novel, it reneged their own explanation about who the Lucanesti are, and they then said that they're a faction of the Sylvanesty coming north from Sylvanost. So, <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Because these two authors are clearly like know what they're talking about right they, like they have a plan right wrong so with only a third of the book left at the time of i was writing this i was intrigued about how it will all end now that i've finished the book i can see why people didn't resonate with it the final battle is a mishmash of cutscenes. but before we get there Vanninen sends Vincus to find Fortis with a Lucanesi prophecy book. He finally ar arrives to have Stormlight take the book from him, but not tell Fortis, who we are led to believe is just as single-minded and blind as the king priest. He's told that the dead will rise and fight with him when he invades. Knowing that the Sixth Legion is waiting for them, Stormlight tries to reason with Fortis, but Fortis is intent on becoming king priest, keeping his knowledge of the army of the dead to himself. They finally invade Istar, and Tachesis is actually running Istar's military offensive herself. That's right. She is telling Fortis to invade Istar, and in command of the army, he will be crushed under. And she's working for the king priest so that he will make her a body from the crushed gems from underneath Istar that the Lucanesti elves are mining. Whew. No, the Lucanesti elves finally recall where the gems are from. This is the worst part about all of this. The spirit Naga, who have been living in the mines for all of time and eternity, we're led to believe, have been feeding off of the corpses of the ancient Lucanesti that were buried in the mines, turning them into the very opals that the current Lucanesti are farming for the king priest. 
So the king priest will create a body for Tachesis from the dust of ancient Lucanesti elves. This is a very convoluted story that relies more on mystical imagery than logical storytelling. So the Lucanesti slaves stop mining the op opals after they relearn about where they're coming from, and this infuriates Tachesis infuriates Tachesis as they create a cave-in in order to prevent others from mining the opals. But it doesn't matter, because apparently, at the exact same time, the king priest already has enough dust that he needed. So why is Tachesis pissed? Why are the elves still mining? I don't know. So Tachesis lets Fortis enter the king priest's chamber in order to show them both that they have been manipulated by her, and that the king priest is in fact Fortis's father. None of this changes anyone, so why do it? Fortis is killed, the armies are slaughtered, the king priest starts making her a body, which evolves into a dust whirlwind version of her Tiamat form. Tachesis goes on to start destroying all of Istar and the armies, but the vo voiceless bard, yeah, the bard didn't have a voice. The bard, a character class that performs, <laughs> didn't have a voice in this story. So, the voiceless bard begins casting a spell that she invents on the spot that banishes Tachesis and stops all of the gods from being able to ever manifest through Kryn's geology again. How? Dunno. Magic. Apparently, the spell is so powerful that it affects all of Kryn's geography. Um, I think I meant to say geology, not geography. I have no idea why this bard is so powerful or that bards were this badass. So Tachesis is banished to the abyss again, but she doesn't care because in a couple years, she causes the cataclysm. Yeah, you heard that right. In this story, Tachesis caused the cataclysm, then just re-entered Kryn anyway. How? Dunno. Magic? Finally, the bard Larkin, with no voice, finds a voice, kind of, hooks up with the Lucanesti elf Stormlight, and generations later, their ancestor is none other than Goldmoon. That's right. <laughs> yeah, so, this is such a horrid final act to the story that I can't help but feel like we are being trolled by the authors. It doesn't line up with any information we've ever been presented about the King Priest, or elves, or Goldmoon, it showcases the evil gods are all trapped in the abyss, which doesn't make much sense as they still can manifest on Kryn, even without the opals, before they were prevented from using them thanks to the bard. This is all so nonsensical, I finally understand why this book has its reputation. The worst part about it is that it didn't have to be this way. If they would have made the king priest one of the earlier king priests and not Beldinus, then all of the problems would have vanished from the king priest's perspective. Get rid of the nonsense opal mining storyline, because it was completely pointless. Focus on the bloodline of the king priest and Fortis as the god's machinations, and it is infinitely more interesting, and it doesn't break established canon. This seems to be the case of shoving far too much into a story, hoping that it would make it compelling, and instead, it's a hit and a miss. So... Uh, you're dying to hear that the legend of the worst ever DL book is true. Chris, it is true. <laughs> John, how you doing? Thanks for tuning in. Just give love to Lord Soth and everything will be all right. That's true, too. 
the Villains series was supposed to tell origin stories of the major villains from the Chronicles, but this doesn't seem to have anything to do with Takesis' origin. No, and it was never really supposed to. In the perfect world, had this story made logical sense, it would have been Takesis' attempt to use the King Priest to get out of the abyss where she was banished from Huma. That premise is great. It's a great idea. Why not? She ultimately uses the temple of the king priest to come back into the world anyway. So why not use the guy himself, right? But why make so many crazy changes when the Legends trilogy already exists and has already set up who the king priest was and what he did? Why change it all? It, it's just so illogical that they did that. I just can't understand it. Hey, Jason, thanks for tuning in live. Um, so ultimately, that is my review of The Dark Queen by Michael Williams and Terry Williams. What did you think of this new version of The King Priest? Do you like it when new sub-races are presented in stories like this? And finally, how do you feel about this new version of Goldmoon's heritage? You can email me at info or comment below. I would like to take a moment and remind you to subscribe to this YouTube channel, ring the bell to get notified about upcoming videos, and click the like button. This all goes to help other Dragonlance fans learn about this channel and its content. And this channel is all about celebrating the wonderful world of the Dragonlance saga, even when it is not worth celebrating. <laughs> I hope you'll continue to join in this celebration. Thank you for watching. This has been Adam with Dragonlance Saga. Until next time, Slanjavon.